This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Last week, Steven Crowder accused The Daily Wire of offering him a slave contract because they had the audacity to begin negotiations with him at a measly $50 million. But the problem is that he would possibly make less money if he violated YouTube's terms of service and got himself banned, as he usually does. Now, The Daily Wire, according to him, was in lockstep with big tech because of that provision because they were enforcing big tech policy, supposedly, by not giving Steven Crowder money if he's not making any money because he can't do that if he got himself banned. That, of course, led to The Daily Wire responding and defending themselves, which prompted Steven Crowder to then release a recorded conversation with co-CEO of The Daily Wire, Jeremy Boring, and also others like Candace Owens jumped in as well to defend her parent company. Now, I'm happy to report that since then, the situation has deteriorated considerably and lines are being drawn. And redrawn. For example, Jordan Peterson initially tweeted out support for Steven Crowder, only to then subsequently delete that tweet after finding out that Steven Crowder was talking about his employer, The Daily Wire. Peterson then tweeted out the video from his employer, where they essentially explain how Steven Crowder is full of shit. Now also, as I mentioned earlier, Candace Owens joined the fight, calling Steven Crowder's attempt to expose The Daily Wire a bitch move. But to do a total bitch move and go out to the public rather than trying to resolve these things and these, and these slight differences behind the scenes and to make it seem like you're the hero and you're the true one and you keep it authentic when something really nothing happened other than you didn't like an initial term sheet and all you had to do was tell them that and tell them what you didn't like and go back and forth with lawyers like everybody else. I think it's crappy. I think it's I, I think Steven is a, a little egocentric. He probably will do better on his own. I don't think he knows how to play on a team. And by the way, the last thing I'm going to say, because I'm going on Tim Pool tonight, so I'm going to say it anyways later, is that I'm pretty sure wasn't it Steven Crowder who also screwed over somebody he used to work with? Was it not gay Jared because he had him tied up in a contract? Wasn't that Steven Crowder who did that? So is he supposed to be the moral high bar? Are we not supposed to call him out for that? Here, here's the thing. Steven, why don't you release not gay Jared from his NDA and allow him to talk about how he felt he was treated by you? Because I know that at the Blaze, everyone says that you're actually not that nice. You treat people poorly, but you bring in so much revenue that everybody just has to take it. So I don't like it. It stinks to high heaven. And I'm calling you out on that because I think it's, it was crappy that you threw mud on me. Did it the first time via a tweet a long time ago. You're not doing it a second time. Total bitch move. Next. Now, later that night on Tim Pool's podcast, she arguably dragged him even harder, and I think she had him nailed. She exposed him for who he is. Not that she's not a grifter herself, but regardless, what she's saying about Steven Crowder is spot on. Well, LOL to anyone who thinks that Steven Crowder is not doing this to make money. Like, I mean, I just have to outwardly laugh. He's he's the person in in a disguise. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? He's he's like, I'm not I'm here because I'm, I care about all of you. That's why I'm recording my friend and doing this crappy thing where I literally could have just said, no, I don't like those terms. And then said to everybody, I'm starting my own outfit. Fair. You walk away all the time. You have to go. You, you, I have walked away. You know, I had an offer from the blaze. It didn't work for me. You know what I mean? I didn't yeah. need to piece apart the, the contract. You know, it, it, 
I love those guys. I think Tyler is is amazing. I mean, this is what I'm saying. People need to stop thinking that he is some knight in shining armor. He's not. He's not a knight in shining armor. And if you can't see that, watch this video because I think his acting is never more apparent. Even the titles, I didn't want to do this. Oh, really? Then why the hell did you record him? People, please use your common sense. I am not even, it's not even because I work for Daily Wire. It is because he personally is, he's lying and he insulted me and during his, his lying campaign, he's still lying. He even said something in this video where he's like, now they're sending out their, no, no, no. You took, if, if you're going to aim and you're going to hit somebody with shrapnel and it's going to be me, you better aim correctly because I don't like shit like this, okay? I have been quiet. I know Steven Crowder treats people like tr- like absolute trash. It's a known thing in the conservative movement. Ask anybody that works at the Blaze. Any person's ever had a show on the Blaze, how Steven Crowder treats people. Yeah. So Candace Owens, as much of a grifter as she is herself, she has Steven Crowder dead to rights. And also during that same stream, they ended up discovering something that was very telling about Steven Crowder, which essentially confirms that this was nothing more than a huge grift. We can ch- check this. Pull upon who is. The domain for Stop Big Con was registered on 12-12-2022. Whois.com. Stop Big Con was registered on 12-12-2022. internet sleuths are going to catch him. Crowder announces he left the blaze and asked people to sign up for Mug Club on 12-15-2022. It was all pl- like the fact, like, Listen, I love you, Internet Sleuths, because this is, of course, was going to happen. And this is the problem is that Steven has to realize people are smart. OK, people are smart. They're going to figure it out. Oh, so you happened to look up the to to register Big Con. Yeah, let's confirm that. What's Stop the Big Con. Yeah, I got it right is here. It's StopBigCon.com. Right now we are. 12, 12, 2022. So it this is. was this was registered. Yeah. Stop Big Con was registered before he announced he was leaving the blaze. Yeah. Is that what it was? He, Isn't that so weird? I he thought... announced he was leaving the blaze on 12. Now we'll get to Crowder's appearance on Tim Pool's show, but on Monday after Shapiro and Owens came back from their weekend breaks, they both reacted to the fallout that happened over the weekend and it got even uglier. Candace Owens, for example, seemingly implied that she maybe has dirt on Steven Crowder, but she won't reveal what that is right now. Because I now am more aware of certain information Rather than being angry, I would like to implore my audience and everybody that isn't paying attention to this situation not to condemn him, but to pray for him. Sometimes people need a prayer. Sometimes people need a scripture. You know, Stephen purports to be a Christian, and I believe that he needs to lean into his faith. And uh, I am certain that in the near future, more information will come out. I do not think it is my place to say more than that. Well, probably what I should say is I am unsure at this moment if if it is my place to say more than that. You know, maybe if I feel in further defense, something should be said, or maybe if I feel that the public has a right to understand certain circumstances. But at this moment, I think I would just like to carefully back out now we'll hear steven crowder's response to candace owens in a moment but first i want to get to what ben shapiro had to say because he shared a lot more than he did when he initially responded last week and you can tell that he is visibly upset in this uh in this video that we're about to watch steven's not a moron he apparently is just a bad person who tapes his friends and then releases the tapes for personal gain i'm personally insulted by steven's behavior here i'm more insulted It has nothing to do with me because he hasn't actually said anything about me. It has to do with you don't get to attack my best friend and suggest that my best friend is some sort of shill for big tech when we spend every day, literally every day in this business, attempting to fight big tech and to win. When you spend every day trying to bring good content to people who can't get it in a lot of other ways and build a business. 
who go out of our way to make offers to people for tens of millions of dollars so they can continue to, promote, to, to provide the content that you want. Tens of millions of dollars to people like Steven Crowder. I don't see a lot of other people walking across the table to make this offer to Steven Crowder. The easiest thing to do in our particular industry is to attack your friends and make money off of that. You know, I'm, it makes me nauseous to, to be talking about this, honestly. It makes me sick to be talking about this. I'm, I'm sad for, for Stephen that he feels the necessity to plan for months, apparently, to attack his friends, to try to grow an email list in the most cynical possible fashion and tape his friends on the phone and then release that public. Who does that? Who does that? Have you, is that something you do? I mean, let me just ask you on a personal level. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taped your friends? Is that a thing that you do? So as much as I disagree with Ben Shapiro about basically everything, I think he's correct here. Steven Crowder is profiting off of drama and profiting off of drama is a common phenomenon in this industry. Remember how back in 2021, Jimmy Dore basically went on a bridge burning spree and attacked any and everybody who even mildly disagreed with him. This includes Kyle Kalinske, Crystal Ball, The Vanguard, everyone at TYT, myself, and the list of names goes on. David Dole also that same year. And the views that he got from farming drama off of his own peers far exceeded the views that he got from any other video. So Ben Shapiro is right in his assessment of Steven Crowder. But speaking of Crowder, we'll now turn to his response because on the Tim Pool show, well, he took some time to directly respond to the individuals like Candace Owens who called what he did a bitch move. If someone publicly was going, and by the way, I'm not going to be doing the personal stuff. I'm not going to be coming in here calling anybody a bitch, right? Sending out hatchet people. Um, I understand why Candace was mad. Honestly, I understand. I understand why she was. I'd probably be mad too. So um, I don't. I don't think it gives you an excuse to go and talk the way like every girl does who gets their husband into a fight at a bar. But I understand why she was upset. Um, if you had the ability, if someone's going out saying, "Hey, you're a, you're a difficult person who only cares about the money," and uh, that you're a bitch, and, and you had the opportunity to clear it in because it was verifiably untrue, which now no one is arguing, would you do it? Would you, how else do would people switch from it was about a fifty million dollar salary to oh, recording a phone call? Does James? Do we allow it when James O'Keefe does it? Is it only when corruption is on the side of the left? And here's the issue: is I'll tell you who this hurts, the dishonesty. I'm not just saying. Daily Wire, this is really, this is about the entire movement as a whole. So that right there, right, is fundamentally just, and the gaslighting still keeps taking place. Candace Owens on this show said, um, hey, we all follow the same guidelines, right? We all follow, Crowder does too. That's verifiably false. Now, so you can publicly audit this. We've had four strikes, right, in the last, since May, I think, 2021 to October 2022. Uh, one was the Mackay Bryant. Uh, one was a sketch with Alex Jones. That one's guilty. One was <laughs> as charged. One was him uh, quoting the CDC. And by that the way, none of this will get you in trouble because you can say this now. Him quoting the CDC. I did, yeah. Bringing up the CDC numbers on flu deaths for children versus COVID. And we were saying this is interesting science, right? That COVID kills more senior citizens, but for some reason is significantly less lethal to young people, to infants. That's science accepted now, so you won't get a strike. But that was one of the strikes. The other was when we had Carrie Lake on in a gubernatorial election. Four. How many have taken place from Daily Wire? You guys, 
Zero. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying it's a badge of honor. I'm not saying that it's a badge of honor to be suspended. If, if they came out and said, look, look, we demand, as uh, Jeremy said in his 55-minute video, we demand that all of our creators follow these rules that YouTube and Facebook set through punitive practices in mandating of our creators to do so. And Crowder's a little bit more of a rebel. You know what? He's been banned for four times. And that's just, that's not the same kind of, that's not a problem. The problem is saying that we all follow the same rules because here's, so that's all publicly verifiable. Now, I could tell you, I could tell you guys that behind the scenes, I've had many conversations with senior YouTube executives who say, you know, we might be able to get you re-monetized if you kind of play ball like these got Daily Wire and insert other people here. I could tell you that, but would you believe me? Or would I have to provide receipts? I could tell you that that takes place. That hurts the creators out there who they end up, you know, hitting a glass ceiling that has set the sandbox that has mandated their creators. I love how he makes it seem as if he's uniquely victimized by YouTube's algorithm when, first and foremost, he gets these strikes due to extremely racist content. And the fact that he was outraged that The Daily Wire was only paying him $50 million to do racism that isn't clever or funny, it's just lazy racism, is still astonishing to me. But he gets banned more so than other people because he frequently violates the TLS. Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens don't get banned even if ideologically they are aligned with Steven Crowder because they don't take it as far as Steven Crowder. And they still espouse the same bigotry, but the thing with Steven Crowder is that he goes further by using slurs, anti-gay slurs. He'll do reenactments, for example, of George Floyd being murdered by a cop. So he does these things and he knows it's going to get him banned, but that's kind of the point. Because when you get banned, you can claim that you're being censored. And that's really lucrative because then, you know, his viewers would want to pay for him uh, or pay for memberships, pay for his mug club or whatever grift he's trying to promote at the moment. But another point that's really important is that a smaller channel, had they done what Steven Crowder has been doing would not have nearly as much leeway as he does. But since he's a massive creator with millions of subscribers, he hasn't been permanently banned yet, but yet he still likes to portray himself as the victim when he gets a special pass because of how big he is. Anyone else with as many strikes as Crowder has would be gone from YouTube, but because he's so massive, he's still there, but yet he's the victim. And he makes it seem like the recorded phone call revealed something corrupt and uniquely scandalous because the Daily Wire's co-founder used the term slave, slave labor, which is bad, right? But Stephen, welcome to the right wing where workers don't have rights and exploitation is the name of the game. Stephen Crowder has previously argued against the minimum wage. He's argued against unions, but now he's feigning concern for exploited laborers, and this is all about the entire movement and not just the money. I mean, the sanctimonious bullshit really is too much for me, and Candace Owens was absolutely right to point out that he's playing all of this up. He's using his previous career as an actor to further make this point. Now, one last video that I have to play is him talking tough when it comes to The Daily Wire. This was genuinely cringeworthy. What first needs to be done is people to mean what they say. And if you are taking money from conservatives out there under the guise that you are fighting big tech, start fighting big tech. Start with that. Okay. I don't know about the, and I know that when I say this, by the way, they're going to send, they're going to be four or five hatchet men coming from the daily. I understand that, by the way. Have you seen anyone else in these videos? This is the first time Gerald's been here because I'm like, look, you handle the finances more than I do. It's me. It's two on one. It's three on one. It's four on one. And gee golly, we thought we were friends. And you know what? I'm not going to call anyone a bitch. 
I still, I mean what I said. Andrew Claven's one of my all-time favorite people. I think Jordan Peterson is unbelievable. I go to the wall for that guy. I think Ben Shapiro is brilliant. Never met Candace Owens. Um, Michael Knowles, my experience with him, I, I don't know him as well. I really like him. I like a lot of these people. Good singer. Is he a good singer? He played guitar too. Well, he has that voice. I mean, Andrew Claven, he told me he had that voice since he was like six. He was like, well, teacher, I'm parent, teacher appreciation day. I'll give you an apple. And they were like, well, this, is, this is how you talk. Um, and it's, it's genuine. It's genuine. Send that. Here's the thing. Keep doing it if that's what they want. I'm not going to. At a certain point, my talents will run out. So send four, send five. Certain point, don't send anyone you expect back in one piece. Whoa, look out, everyone. We've got a tough guy coming through. Now, I found this entire kerfuffle thoroughly enjoyable and more importantly, valuable because these are all incredibly odious characters motivated exclusively by money. Maybe Ben Shapiro believes the bullshit that he espouses, but overall, most of these individuals, especially Steven Crowder and Candace Owens, they don't actually care about anything but the grift itself. So when one of them threatens the other's grift, that's when things get ugly, because the gravy train is the only thing that these grifters are loyal to. So I say, let them fight, and I'll continue to enthusiastically watch as some of the most destructive propagandists in the country continue to tear each other down. Keep it coming. As of Thursday, the U.S. has officially hit its debt ceiling, meaning that the Treasury Department is now using what's known as extraordinary measures in order to avoid defaulting on the debt that we already owe. Now, in the event we were to actually default on our debt, that would be catastrophic. In fact, catastrophic would be an understatement. It would trigger a severe recession. Jobs would be lost. It affect payments to Social Security and much more. And Republicans have been pretty open about the fact that they're willing to play a dangerous game of chicken with Democrats and put the full faith and credit of the United States on the line in order to force Democrats to acquiesce to their harmful agenda. And if you've been watching this show, you already know exactly what they want to do. Some Republicans are supporting Republican Buddy Carter's so-called fair tax bill, which would eliminate the IRS and all federal income taxes in lieu of a national 30% sales tax, which their corporate donors would love, I'm sure. And that's just one idea, one of the horrible things that they want to do. But it seems like the idea that's gained the most traction is cuts to social security. And they're trying to exploit the debt ceiling showdown to get what they want. And these Republican thieves who want to take money from you had the support of at least one Democrat. Now, before I tell you who, just take a wild guess as to who that is. As Kenny Stansel of Common Dreams explains, during a Wednesday interview with Fox Business at the ruling class's annual gathering in Davos for the World Economic Forum, Manchin suggested that members of both major U.S. political parties, quote, work together on solving the nation's so-called debt problem. No thanks. Although Manchin didn't explicitly demand cuts to Social Security and expressed opposition to GOP calls for privatization, he singled out the program for intervention, saying that Congress should be able to solidify it. Stancil continues, what's especially concerning to progressives is that the corporate-backed lawmaker is the co-author alongside Senator Mitt Romney of the Trust Act, a bill that would enable Congress to create bipartisan rescue committees for the nation's trust fund programs, including Social Security and Medicare, and give the panels 180 days to develop legislation that restores solvency and otherwise improves each. Measures put forth by the bipartisan committees would be fast-tracked for four votes in both chambers of Congress 
Congress with no amendments allowed. Yeah, it's going to be a hard pass for me on that. Now, the legislation that Manchin is pushing is modeled after the notorious Simpson-Bowles Commission, and Senator Bernie Sanders took to Twitter to explain what happened the last time one of these commissions was proposed. So, quote, the last thing we need is another commission to propose cuts to Social Security and Medicare. The last time we had one, it proposed cutting Social Security benefits for middle-class seniors by up to 35% and cutting tax rates for billionaires. We must instead expand Social Security. Now, let's be very clear here. Manchin knows exactly what he's doing here. But it's not the only proposed change to Social Security aside from straight-up cuts. Senator Ron Johnson, for example, has proposed shifting Social Security from part of our mandatory budget to our discretionary budget so that way Congress has to approve the amount spent on it from year to year. There's also been suggestions from Republicans like Rick Allen to raise the retirement age, which is nothing more than a thinly veiled cut. Some have just outright admitted that they support cuts to Social Security in order to, quote, balance the budget. But let me be very clear here. Social Security legally cannot contribute to the federal deficit. So whatever excuse that they use, understand it's bullshit. Now, the most nefarious way that Republicans try to sell these cuts to voters is under the pretense of a concern for the program's long-term solvency, meaning that they'll have to suggest some type of change. It's necessary. They have to do something in order to keep Social Security fully funded because they care. But I think it's evident by now that they don't care. They're literally just concerned trolling. And fortunately, voters aren't buying it. A data for progress poll conducted in September of 2022 found that voters overwhelmingly reject Ron Johnson's idea to renew funding for Social Security annually. Also, they'd rather pay more into Social Security as opposed to having their benefits reduced. And finally, 90% of all voters want the program to exist 10 years from now. Now, do you think these Republicans are dumb? I mean, Many of them are dumb. But do you think that they don't know that? I should phrase it that way. They know. Republicans know this, which is why they're constantly trying to disguise cuts to Social Security as necessary reforms in order to extend the program's solvency. And it's why they also have to utilize debt ceiling showdowns to rush through changes that they know would be unpopular. But in an interview with Brian Tyler Cohen, Bernie Sanders explained that there's something these Republicans can do if they wanted to prove to these constituents that they really do care about the longevity of Social Security and they don't just want to cut it. Uh uh, is they're not staying up nights worrying about the solvency of Social Security. If they were, they would do exactly as supporting the legislation that I've introduced. And again, right now, you make $10 million a year. I make $140,000 a year. We both pay the same amount of money into Social Security because there's a cap on what can be paid. Lift that cap. We can expand. So we can protect the solvency of Social Security for 50 years and expand benefits which is what I want to do. That's not their thing. Look, their thing is they are anti-government. They believe that corporate, large corporations should run the world. It's not just Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. It's public education. It's transportation. You name the issue. They want to move toward privatization. That is the agenda of many of them. Uh, give power to large corporations. Weaken the ability of the American people to determine their own future. 
And he's exactly correct. That's neoliberalism in a nutshell, though. The outsourcing of government responsibilities to private corporations who can profit off of what should be services designed to benefit the public good. Now, the good news is that Bernie Sanders has possibly got Manchin to acquiesce because after Bernie Sanders put him on blast with that tweet we just read, well, he changed his tune. HuffPost reporter Igor Bobic explains, Manchin on CNN says there should be no cuts to those now getting Social Security and Medicare and rejects the idea of raising the Social Security retirement age. He instead suggests raising the taxable wage cap for employees paying into the program. Bobbitt continues, the taxable wage cap just jumped up to $160,200, up from $147,000 for 2022 on January 1st. Manchin said on CNN he believed it was $150,000 to $155,000. In West Virginia, they're paying 100% of that tax in wealthier areas. They're paying very small percentage of that tax. Now, even though Manchin cannot be trusted, he's correct here. Warren Gunnels, the majority staff director for Bernie Sanders, explains if Bernie Sanders' Social Security bill was signed into law last year, Elon Musk would have paid $2.9 billion more in taxes. No one making more than $250,000 or less would have paid a penny more in taxes. Benefits would have gone up by $2,400 a year and Social Security would be solvent for 75 years. Exactly. Now, to be fair, Manchin didn't necessarily rule out this policy in the first place, but when you advocate for a bipartisan compromise when Republicans are explicitly calling for cuts to Social Security, it's kind of hard to fathom that a neoliberal corporatist like Manchin would even be entertaining Bernie Sanders' proposal. But here we are. He got backlash, Bernie Sanders called him out, and we have if not a reversal, at least a clarification at a minimum. Now, I can't say with certainty that Bernie Sanders got Manchin to buckle specifically, but what I can say is that Bernie Sanders has consistently been a thorn in the side of any politician who has tried to cut Social Security in either party. For example, back in 2012, when Obama betrayed voters by endorsing cuts to Social Security by changing how the cost of living adjustments were made, there was fierce opposition from grassroots activists, but also there was a small group of senators who were vehemently opposed to Obama's proposal, and the individual who led the charge was none other than Senator Bernie Sanders. Let's listen. In 2008, he said that he would not cut Social Security. We want the president to remember what he said and not go back on his word. And once again, Bernie Sanders is doing everything he can to name and shame any politician who's aligning with Republicans to betray the American people. Now, I should also note that this entire debt ceiling crisis is a choice. The borrowing cap is a dumb made up thing that doesn't even need to exist, but it is a useful tool for politicians to create the sense of urgency so politicians in both parties, to be fair, can rush through bills that would be extremely unpopular. And I should clarify that they know that these bills would be extremely unpopular, but this whole debt ceiling showdown is a pretty useful excuse. I mean, they could just say, I had to support this terrible policy in order to avoid a recession. Oh my God, my hands were tied. I was so stressed out. But Congress can literally just abolish the debt ceiling and never have to have this conversation again. But this is America and that would make too much sense. But either way, it's good to know that there's at least one politician who will go to bat for the American people on this issue. Social Security is a lifeline to Americans and it's our money. We paid into this program and we do not consent 
to any politician from either party stealing from us, period. Over the weekend, Donald Trump attended the memorial service for Lynette Hardway, aka Diamond, from the conservative duo Diamond and Silk. And I'm sure that you're not going to be very surprised to learn that his eulogy was deeply, deeply inappropriate. This was a friend, but of course, he predictably made it about himself. And he even arguably insulted Silk, who was Diamond's best friend. Let's listen. President Trump. I just want to say thank you so much for believing in Diamond and Silk. He treated us just like Laura. He treated us just like the other children. Eric, uh, Don Jr., Tiffany. He treated us just like when we came around, when Diamond and Silk came around, it was like we was part of the family. You know, the world has lost one of its brightest stars real star, but I see that uh, we have another star who is equal to, but she stepped up and she is different. I'm, I'm serious. I thought I knew them both. I didn't. I knew I knew Diamond, but I didn't know Silk at all. I just learned about Silk. You're fantastic. I can't believe he actually said that. This man actually had the audacity to say, I don't know who Silk is. I just learned about Silk after she said that he welcomed them as if they were a member of the family, one of his kids. Look, if ever there was a time to keep something to yourself, that would have been it right there. Now, for those of you who don't know, if you've never had to give a eulogy, that's where you talk about the person who passed away. You can share a story about their life, your relationship with them, a special moment. But Trump, of course, decided to use that opportunity to attack Democrats because of course. How do you have open borders where millions and millions of people are being let into our country and taking so much away from our country? It's so hard to fix that. You know, things we can fix inflation. We can fix so much of what's been damaged over the last two years. They allowed their prisons to be emptied out into the United States of America. They allowed their mental institutions to be emptied out. Inflation was caused by energy. Yeah. And because it's Donald Trump, he also found a way to make it about himself, specifically how he's the victim. So he talked about how the election was stolen from him in 2020 at this eulogy for his friend. How do we stop the cheating? How do we stop it where you get more votes, but you still don't win? And the answer is the Republicans have to get tougher. The top people have to get tougher. And and you have to really swamp them. There's a level at which even they can't produce. And so if you win big enough, you're going to get there. And then once we're there, we're going to straighten it all out and get it back to where it was. But I just again, I just have to remind you all that he's saying this during a eulogy. I just don't know what to even say about that. It's not like I'm surprised that Donald Trump would even turn a funeral into something about himself and how he's actually the victim, but I just, I, wow, <laughs> what, what do you even say to that? Now, there was a moment where it got downright insulting because he decided to reference how long the memorial service was and how he was there longer than he expected. He actually said this, like, I, I'm not making this up. Listen. I don't believe, you know, they told me said, give me a little time, because I have a lot of people waiting for me back in a place called Palm Beach, Florida. 
I said, give me a little time. What do you think it'll take? Oh, about 15, 20 minutes, sir, in and out. I said, well, it could take longer. This is a little longer than 15 minutes, right? Okay, I take it back. If ever there was a moment to keep something to yourself, that right there was definitely the moment to keep it to yourself. If you're thinking, hmm, man, this is going on longer than I expected, just don't, don't say that. Don't say it, Trump. Don't say it. He said it. He actually said that. Again, at a eulogy. I have to keep reminding myself that he's speaking at a memorial service because you, you tend to kind of lose track of like what he's saying. You can you can be immersed in, as if he's speaking at a political rally. But no, he, he's he's giving a eulogy right there. Now, to be fair, Donald Trump wasn't the only one who kind of hijacked this memorial service for his own political purposes because Diamond's best friend, Silk, also decided to spread a conspiracy theory about her best friend's death and she was presumably suggesting that diamond died from the COVID vaccine but there's questions about that because diamond and silk were pretty vocally anti-vax and they were also COVID truthers so for her to die from a vaccine possibly that she didn't take is a little bit weird nonetheless let's listen as soon as diamond hung up the phone she said to me i can't breathe it was suddenly, out of nowhere, and no warning. I got her to the kitchen table, opened up the back door so that she can get some air. And each breath was less and less and less until her eyes became a stare. My husband and I followed the 911 instructions uh, 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 from the lady. We laid her, like they told us to lay her flat. They said, do CPR, and it was one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. My husband and I alternated and kept going and going and going until the emergency truck came, and came into the, the yard and the EMS came into the house. They did everything that they could. But what I want to say to everybody is don't you dare call me a conspiracy theorist because I saw it happen. I saw how it happened. I was there when it happened and it happened suddenly. I want America to wake up and pay attention. Something ain't right. It's time to investigate what's really going on here and get some answers to why are people falling dead suddenly. Now, to be clear, we don't know what the actual cause of death was for Lynette Hardway, but Silk right there is implying heavily so that she died because of the COVID vaccine, so much so that a member of Congress wants to take action as a result of that video. So Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, responded to that video saying, I demand an immediate investigation into COVID vaccines and the dramatic increase of people dying suddenly. This can no longer be ignored and is not political. Now, a logical question to ask was, was she even vaccinated? Because she claimed that she wasn't. But according to Silk, that's not the right question to ask. Let's watch. Instead of asking, if Americans are vaxxed or unvaxxed, the real question to ask is, are Americans being poisoned? In the wild, 
when they want to depopulate and sterilize a large group of animals, they usually inject one animal. And then that one animal infects the rest of the animals. So technically, and according to the science, it doesn't matter if you're vaxxed or not. As long as the gain of function allows one injected person to transfer and affect another person, and that person affect another person, eventually everyone will be affected in one way or the other. So in other words, she wasn't vaccinated, but vaccinated people around her infected her with their vaccine germs, which then caused her to die. Okay, now you're probably wondering, well, what if she just got COVID and died because she wasn't vaccinated? Well, that's not something that you should be asking because when somebody did point this out or suggest that perhaps Diamond died of COVID-19, well, Silk actually threatened to sue them for defamation. So not something you want to ask. But in truth, we really don't know why she died. Now, for more details, we go to Newsweek, who reports claims that Hardaway had been hospitalized in November fueled speculation online that she had died of COVID. Their joint Twitter account asked fans to pray for Diamond on November 26th. However, it has since attacked claims she died of the virus, calling for retractions. The sisters had often used their platform to question COVID vaccine policy, specifically Joe Biden's vaccine mandate, as well as the efficacy of the jab. They were also removed from Fox News's list of contributors for their claims about the vaccine, according to the Associated Press, which prompted their move to Newsmax, a far-right cable news channel, where they hosted a talk show. So there you have it. I can't help but feel bad that her memorial service was essentially hijacked by political opportunists and grifters who just want to use that event to promote either themselves or some weird conspiracy theory. But honestly, who am I kidding? This is probably exactly what Diamond wanted. She wanted this to be a political stunt. That's kind of what she did. So I don't know what to say. It, it was it's still weird, nevertheless, to see Donald Trump complain about the 2020 election being stolen and Silk, her main ally, essentially concocting a, a conspiracy theory about her death. It's still weird to see a memorial service take that turn. But either way, she's gone now and I wish her family peace. I want to talk about a story that is truly at the intersection of so many issues, environmentalism, indigenous people's rights, police militarization, and the over-policing of majority black cities, the American police state, so on and so forth. That story is Cop City. Now, fortunately, people are finally starting to pay attention to Cop City, but the heightened awareness of Cop City comes at the expense of one activist's life. Manuel Terran, who is a 26-year-old queer Afro-Venezuelan force defender who was killed by police on January 18th following a deadly raid on Cop City. Now, in order to understand why Manuel was caught in the crossfire in the first place, we need to understand what Cop City is and why these activists were opposing it so vehemently. 
Kendall Glenn of Decatterish explains, Cobb City is an 85-acre police-slash-fire training facility located in DeKalb County's South River Forest. The location has historically been the old Atlanta prison farm site and a police shooting range. Former Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms announced the plan to turn the location into a state-of-the-art training facility in April of 2021. The project will cost approximately $90 million, and the area will feature a burn tower, space for high-speed chases, a helicopter pad, a shooting range, and a mock village. Yeah. Now, if that doesn't already sound positively dystopian to you, well, destroying this forest is going to have catastrophic impacts on the community because this forest is essentially a shield that protects them from anthropogenic climate change. In an article for the Atlanta Voice, Scott Roberts explains, clear-cutting the forest will have devastating effects on the environment, including worsened air quality and flooding in the predominantly black neighborhoods of Southeast Atlanta. Furthermore, the Atlanta Police Department's current and future use of chemical weapons will poison the soil and the waters, endangering Atlantans' health. So, needless to say, clearing out this forest in order to create a massive military-like training facility for cops isn't just going to lead to more brutalization disproportionately of black and brown people, it's also taking away a shield that will defend them against climate change. And to add insult to injury, Cop City is being constructed on land that was stolen from indigenous people and then subsequently turned into a slave plantation. The land belonged to the Muscogee people, who referred to it as the Walani Forest for generations. Beginning in the early 1820s, the Muscogee were forcibly displaced from the area through a series of treaties. The removal continued into the 30s. The land then became a plantation for the remainder of the 19th century and into the early 20th century. In 1911, the city of Atlanta purchased the land. Ten years later, Later, it became the Atlanta City Prison and Dairy Farm. From 1922 to the late 80s, the area ran as a prison farm. In 1990, the city began auctioning off farm animals and equipment, and soon after, public notice was issued to discuss future plans for the site. Now, make no mistake about it, the city knows that a majority of the residents are against the creation of Cop City. They just don't care. And they also know how important this forest is for its population. Back in 2017, the planning department of Atlanta designated the South River Forest as the city's lungs. And this was because of the environmental significance of that forest. Now, because it was so important, they initially planned to turn the forest into an urban park. However, that idea was scrapped in favor of uh, Cop City, and here we are now. So activists have been pushing back against the construction of Cop City in an effort to protect the South River Forest and prevent even more brutalization of black and brown people by police. And to resist, they've established encampments in the forest and have occupied it for prolonged periods of time. But cops, however, have been trying to forcibly remove the protesters for quite some time to no avail. And as a result, their tactics have become increasingly violent as time progresses. And during a raid on January 18th, one activist was shot dead. And that activist is Manuel Terran. Now, a Georgia state trooper was also shot and hospitalized with police claiming that Terran shot him. And Unicorn Riot reports that witnesses heard 10 to 12 gunshots all at once. So it was a fairly chaotic situation and police are claiming that Manuel fired first, but the evidence that they released thus far does not substantiate that claim. And there's no body camera footage of the incident as well, since no other officer was close enough to capture the incident. 
Now, Georgia's Bureau of Investigation has released this photograph of a Smith & Wesson 9mm handgun that they claimed was in Terrence's possession at the time that he was killed. And ballistics experts confirmed that the bullets from this gun do in fact match the wound of the cop that was shot. But activists are disputing the cop's narrative and calling for an independent investigation by an impartial third party to figure out what really happened. And activists are rightfully skeptical of the cop's narrative because they've been caught lying to justify the use of deadly force against protesters in the past. For example, as Unicorn Riot reports, in June of 2022, Atlanta police officers were caught on radio traffic justifying the use of lethal force against protesters who used Molotov cocktails to defend themselves and the forest in the midst of a police raid. No forest defenders have been charged for use of Molotovs or incendiary devices. Quote, I told you deadly force encounters, said one officer. That's why I brought it up. As long as we're all on the same page, Molotov cocktails, a deadly force encounter. A deadly force encounter is a situation in which cops are legally allowed to shoot and kill. Yeah, so that right there is why activists are rightfully skeptical of the cops' narrative about Terran. If they lied before to justify the use of lethal force against these protesters, what's to stop them from lying again to justify the use of lethal force against Manuel? Right? Now, me personally, I fundamentally distrust cops. So I automatically just assume that they're lying every single time that they open their mouths and that I work backwards from that conclusion if and only if they provide the public with an overwhelming amount of evidence to substantiate the claims that they're making. But with respect to this story, they have not done that and I simply have not been swayed. So I remain at my default position of distrust cops and assume that they're lying. And short of an independent investigation, local activists don't seem to be buying it as well, and they're not letting police demonize Manuel Terran, and it seems like the community also isn't buying the official narrative from police. There was a vigil that was held for Manuel, and that turned into an impromptu march, and that impromptu march ended up turning into protests across Atlanta. And those are still going on till this day, with activists calling for justice for Manuel and an end to the construction of Cop City. And some protests have turned into riots, which has predictably been the overall focus of media in an effort to obscure the overall message of these activists. But it's important to recenter this conversation around the activists message and not the message of the media or the cops. Cop City is an absolute abomination and the force defenders who are protecting the environment and the city are unquestionably heroes in my opinion. But some of the force defenders are being charged with domestic terrorism and criminal trespassing because if you refuse to allow cops to bulldoze this forest to create cop city to brutalize that very community that they claim to be serving and protecting then you're apparently a domestic terrorist but the real act of terrorism in my opinion is the destruction of this forest in the first place now one last thing that I want to leave you with is this. There's a GoFundMe for Manuel's family. And at the time that I record this video, they are halfway towards their goal of $100,000. So I'd encourage you to consider donating if you're able to. But either way, if you didn't know about Cop City, now you know. And unfortunately, one activist, their death led to people knowing about Cop City. So don't let that sacrifice be in vain. People need to spread the word and acknowledge that Cop City is a disgrace, but it's not necessarily a shocking thing to see in the dystopian country that we live in. It's just, it's, it's sickening, but here we are.
the last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases. That was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis during his 2018 campaign against his Democratic opponent, who happened to be black. Really interesting choice of words there, Ron. Really, really interesting. Now, fast forward to today, and his state just banned an AP African-American studies course from classrooms. Hmm, I wonder what his motivations could be. Now, he has received a tremendous amount of backlash, but despite that, he's remaining defiant and he's maintaining that whitewashing history, pretty brazenly so, is really important for the state of Florida. Politico explains, the Republican governor said that he supports banning the course being offered to some high school students because its lessons delve too far into political agendas, broaching topics such as queer studies and abolishing prisons. Black officials in the state, from Democratic lawmakers to faith leaders, however, are seeking to overturn the DeSantis administration's determination that the class significantly lacks educational value. Florida's move to block the course follows a concerted effort by state Republicans to restrict how race is taught in local classrooms. Under DeSantis, the state education department has rejected math textbooks over, quote, impermissible content, including teachings on critical race theory, something that Florida banned in education along with the 1619 project through official action by its Board of Education. He simply just wants people to be stupid and to kind of prove to you how important it is to know your history. Um, this is what will happen. This is what you'll sound like more specifically if you are ignorant of history. Here's one example. It was the American Revolution that caused people to question slavery. No one had questioned it before we decided as Americans that we are endowed by our creator with unalienable rights and that we are all created equal. Then that birth abolition movements. So you can't teach history that's being used to pursue an ideological agenda. Yes, because DeSantis of all people is clearly the one without the agenda here. Unbelievable, unreal kids. That's why you need to learn your history because you sound like that. You sound like a complete dumbass if you are ignorant of history. Now, I don't know if he's ignorant or he's just pretending to not know the way that things transpired. But either way, that's why we need history taught in schools. Now, he's not just extending his authoritarianism into classrooms with respect to African-American studies. This goes much, much further than many people even know about. The press secretary for DeSantis announced on January 4th, quote, all state university and college systems in Florida have been required to report expenditures and resources utilized for campus activities related to diversity, equity and inclusion and critical race theory. Stay tuned. Now, aside from explicit directives like that and them banning specific courses like African-American studies, well, a lot of these laws that DeSantis has signed into law that kind of controls the school curriculum is extremely vague. That includes the Stop Woke Act, the Don't Say Gay Law, and it's having a chilling effect on free speech in the classrooms. For example, during an Orange County Teachers Association meeting back in June of last year, teachers were instructed to get rid of rainbow lanyards that the district had given them the year before and remove pictures of their same-sex spouses if they teach elementary education in order to remain compliant with the state's Don't Say Gate law. Now, additionally, as the Washington Post reports, in Duval County, school administrators recently held back 26 books from elementary schools, including Roberto Clemente, prior of the Pittsburgh Pirates and climbing Lincoln Steps, the African-American journey, until a committee determines if they meet the standards 
of the new state law. But it gets even worse, believe it or not, because as Judd Legum reports, teachers in Manatee County, Florida, are being told to make their classroom libraries and any other unvetted book inaccessible to students or risk felony prosecution. The new policy is part of an effort to comply with new laws and regulations championed by Governor Ron DeSantis. It is based on the premise promoted by right-wing advocacy groups that teachers and librarians are using books to, quote, groom students or indoctrinate them with leftist ideologies. Kevin Chapman, the chief of staff for the Manatee County School District, told Popular Information that the policy was communicated to principals in a meeting last Wednesday. Individual schools are now in the process of informing teachers and other staff. So we've come so far to where we're at a point where we're not just seeing books being banned from classrooms, and that's unsurprising, but teachers who don't remove said banned books are facing legal penalties. This is fascistic, and it's deeply authoritarian, and Ron DeSantis has constructed a sort of nanny state in order to police what your children can and can't read. You might think it's appropriate, but... Ron DeSantis has the ultimate say. Now, I wish I could say that this was a phenomenon that was limited to the state of Florida, but unfortunately, other states have done similar things, and if they haven't already gone as far as Florida, they're considering measures that are as equally authoritarian and Orwellian. For example, North Dakota's Republican-controlled House Judiciary Committee just recently heard arguments last Tuesday about banning LGBTQ plus inclusive books from public libraries. And here's the kicker. They will jail any librarian for 30 days if they refuse to remove said banned books that the state deems as offensive. So we are headed down a very dangerous path. And I don't think that people truly understand the gravity of the situation here. We're not just talking about bans on books. There are states like North Dakota who are considering the possibility of not just banning books from public libraries, but jailing librarians who refuse to comply with their book bans. And this is happening in multiple states, but Ron DeSantis unquestionably has been the individual who spearheaded this movement. And the thing that should worry everyone the most is that it keeps getting worse. Remember last year how egregious it was to see all of these book bans being proposed? Well, now it's not just the book bans that are sufficient. They're raising the specter of jailing librarians, penalizing teachers legally in the state of Florida if they end up giving a child a book that was unvetted and deemed offensive by the state. Folks, this is fascism. We are in dangerous territory here, and the level of scrutiny that Ron DeSantis is getting is nowhere near enough. That's not to say that states shouldn't have a say over the curriculum in schools, but the extent to which Ron DeSantis has weighed in is chilling. This is an attack on freedom. This is an attack on freedom of speech, and I don't think that people are going to wake up until it's too late, unfortunately, but this is deeply dangerous. And it's fascism. If anyone at this point in time is still denying that, they're absolutely naive. Elon Musk has practically bent over backwards to appease conservatives on Twitter. He has unbanned dozens of prominent right-wing accounts. He interacts with them regularly. And in the case of Twitter user CatTurd, he made CatTurd's personal concerns a priority on day one. Fast forward to today, and they're still not happy with Elon Musk. In fact, some of these conservatives are outright attacking him. 
Twitter user ZScroll shared these hilarious screenshots of conservatives claiming that they are still shadow banned. So Charlie Kirk complained about conservatives seeing lower Twitter engagement, directly questioning if they've been suppressed. And Sean Davis chimed in to say that it's as bad as it's ever been, despite Elon Musk being in control. Jason Nelson claims that he doesn't see a bunch of right-wing accounts, including Elon Musk's, demanding an explanation and presumably wondering if the $11 that he paid for Twitter blue got him shadow banned. And even Cat Turd is still angry, tweeting, all conservative accounts are being throttled and hidden again, just like before Elon Musk took over ownership, adding, he's not seeing the people who he follows, and it's actually, quote, way worse than it was before Elon's takeover. But this one's my favorite. Dear Elon Musk, just so you know, the new algorithms are so bad, we might as well be invisible. This is horrible. Now, if you'll notice, he says this in a tweet that received nearly 30,000 likes and 2.3 million views, but yet he might as well be invisible. I swear to God, conservatives are so damn melodramatic, and I don't know what they're talking about. Maybe our algorithms got swapped, because when I log on to Twitter, specifically on my For You page, I see nothing but posts from right-wingers. Matt Walsh, in particular, I always see him. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Elon Musk as well, when I'm not following Elon Musk, so... I really don't know what they're complaining about, but to be fair, everybody's experience on Twitter seems pretty different these days. Either way, there is censorship on Twitter, but it doesn't necessarily just pertain to right-wing complaints about censorship. There's actual censorship going on at the behest of very, very powerful interests. And this censorship is manifesting in Orwellian ways. The Intercept reports, Twitter and YouTube censored a report critical of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi in coordination with the government of India. Officials called for the big tech companies to take action against the BBC documentary, exploring Modi's role in a genocidal 2002 mass in the Indian state of Gujarat, which the officials deemed a propaganda piece. In a series of posts, Kanchan Gupta, senior advisor at the Indian government's Ministry of Information and Broadcasting, denounced the BBC documentary as, quote, hostile propaganda and anti-India garbage. He said that both Twitter and YouTube had been ordered to block links to the film before adding that the platforms have complied with the directions. Gupta's statements coincided with posts from Twitter users in India who claimed to have shared links to the documentary, but whose posts were later removed and replaced with a legal notice. So to be clear, both Twitter and YouTube, they are censoring a documentary that exposes crimes against humanity committed against minorities in India by the current prime minister of India, Narendra Modi. They are in this instance essentially behaving as state TV, where they're just doing what the government wants them to do, allowing the citizens to hear what the government deems is appropriate. Now, this is the takedown request from the Indian Ministry of Information and Broadcasting that was sent to Twitter. And on page two, you can even see actor John Cusack was also part of their takedown request since he also shared a link to the BBC documentary in question here. And as a result, John Cusack's Twitter account has been banned in India since Twitter did decide to agree with the takedown request. Now, despite this ban on this particular documentary, some opposition members of parliament in India are defiantly sharing links to it and calling out the censorship on Twitter. And good on them for sharing this. You know, it's difficult to speak truth to power, but as members of parliament, they really are leading by example, and I commend them for what they're doing here. Now, this sets a dangerous precedent. 
should these big tech companies comply with the requests of government when it comes to other issues? What if Saudi Arabia says that we demand that you censor pro-LGBTQ plus content or atheist content in our state? What if Israel demands that Twitter or YouTube censor anti-apartheid rhetoric or pro-Palestinian rhetoric, Palestinian uh, liberation content? It's a really dangerous game to play but a lot of these big tech companies comply with the demands of governments because if they lose out on that market and end up getting banned in these particular states or regions well then that's an entire advertising market that they're losing out on they lose revenue so they have an incentive to abide by the commands of these governments even if the requests that they are making are explicitly authoritarian now youtube is equally culpable here to be fair but what they did here is unsurprising because YouTube always bows to every single demand that the powerful makes, especially advertisers. They will do whatever advertisers want. Uh, and it's it's really frustrating, but this is the reality. Elon Musk, however, claimed that after he purchased Twitter, things would be different. It wouldn't be this way. He would respect freedom of speech. But predictably, as many of us on the left pointed out, that was nothing more than uh, hot air. Now, Elon Musk actually responded to this when he was asked about it by Twitter user Viva Free. And this person says, what's going on, Elon Musk? Twitter seems to have gone from freedom of speech, not freedom of reach, to outright censorship in no time at all. Musk responded saying, first I've heard, it is not possible for me to fix every aspect of Twitter worldwide overnight while still running Tesla and SpaceX, among other things. Now, since this user had Elon Musk's attention, he decided to ask Elon Musk about other right-wingers like the quartering getting banned because, you know, of course, priorities, right? Now, this response by Elon Musk's own standards is completely indefensible. He claimed that he cared so much about freedom of speech that he was willing to commit to personally looking into the concerns of one Twitter user on day one, Cat Turd. But when it's brought to his attention that an entire government petitioned for Twitter to censor a documentary that's critical of its prime minister... Well, you know, I can't be looking into every single thing and, and be concerned with everything that's going on worldwide. I mean, I'm also running these other companies. Do you understand why this is a deeply unserious individual? Because if you claim to care about freedom of speech, you have to be consistent. And now is the time when you prove it to us. But he fumbled. He fumbled there. And I also find this inexcusable because you are the owner of Twitter. And if you claim to care about freedom of speech, don't you have protocols in place so that way lower level staff staffers know how to respond when they get these takedown requests from foreign governments? It's ridiculous. And honestly, it's shocking to me that feigning ignorance is his go-to defense here because I think that there's other motivations here at play that he's not talking about. The Intercept continues, Modi's government in India regularly applied pressure to Twitter in an attempt to bend the social media platform to its will. At one point, the government threatened to arrest Twitter staff in the country over their refusal to ban accounts run by critics. When Musk took over, Twitter had just a 20% compliance rate when it came to the Indian government takedown requests. When the billionaire took the company private, it, some 90% of Twitter India's 200 staffers were laid off. Now the Indian government's pressure on Twitter appears to be gaining traction. Why? Well, a key difference may be Musk's other business entanglements. Musk himself has his own business interests in India, where Tesla has been lobbying so far without luck to win tax breaks to enter the Indian market. So Elon Musk has millions, possibly billions of reasons to comply with the takedown requests of the Indian government. 
Are you picking up what I'm putting down? This is a massive market. So perhaps he's thinking, well, if I comply with their censorship demands, maybe they'll give me the tax breaks that I need to bring Teslas to the Indian market. And to be fair, we don't know what his motivations are. Maybe he really is ignorant here. But at a minimum, this is still disturbing because this is a conflict of interest. His business interests create a conflict of interest if he is going to be managing Twitter in an impartial way. And more importantly, this has serious implications for freedom of speech. And it's scary because believe it or not, freedom of speech is more serious than the concerns of right-wingers who are mad that their friends got banned for saying the N-word. Freedom of speech gives individuals with no power the ability to criticize the powerful, large institutions that control their lives. And it seems like Elon Musk isn't taking the most serious elements of freedom of speech that seriously. Or maybe he just doesn't know, which is still a failure on his part, because if you claim to care about freedom of speech, something like this would have never happened in the first place on the platform. But if you've been watching my show, uh, you know that his whole freedom of speech thing is nothing more than window dressing to appeal to right-wingers who were angry that they were getting banned because they couldn't not violate the terms of service because they are constantly espousing hate and slurs. So Elon Musk, he doesn't actually care about freedom of speech when push comes to shove, but if you're surprised by this, then you very clearly haven't been paying attention. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube means tv and facebook you can also find audio versions of the show on spotify apple podcasts soundcloud iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms and before you go consider supporting the show on patreon or through youtube memberships you get early access to most videos invites to monthly live chats with mike and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode there are other ways to support the show you can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.